Our scripture reading uh, today comes from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 16. And I, I messed up the, uh, the verses up here. It's actually, what is it? 16 through 22 instead of 16 through 34. So listen now for the word of God. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaimed you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. And then the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates had them stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. This is the word of God for the people of God. Have, a, have any of you all ever been uh, wrongly accused? Yeah. Maybe not to the degree that Paul and Silas have just been wrongly accused, but we've all, we all know about being blamed uh, for something that maybe we did not do. These verses got me thinking about uh, Andy Dufresne. He was the main character from one of the greatest movies, maybe the greatest movie ever made. Uh, If you want to talk about that, we can. Shawshank Redemption. Y'all remember this movie? (laughs) He was was accused and then convicted of cold-blooded murder. Now, Andy was an accountant. He worked with money, and he was accused and convicted of killing his wife, right? Now, for most of the movie, you don't know. You don't know whether he's innocent or guilty. There's even this one-liner that the movie kind of throws up every now and then. Whenever a prisoner is asked, did you do it, it being the crime that got them into prison, uh, the running joke is to simply say, I'm innocent, right? And uh, as Red jokes, the other main character in the plot, he says, uh, everybody in here is innocent. Didn't you know that? So the prison is run by a a Bible-thumping, shiny shoe-wearing, apparently successful Warden Norton. And the warden, the good warden, believes in two things, discipline and the Bible. And blasphemy will not be tolerated uh, anywhere in the prison, okay? The warden always encourages the prisoners to trust in the Lord because their soul belongs to God, but their bottoms belong to him. Okay, so they have to keep trusting in those ways. Um, Now, Warden Norton, early on in the film, recognizes Andy's gifts uh, for accounting. And then he begins to use Andy uh, to make money. And the warden is involved in all sorts of illegal enterprises. And he he launders that money, essentially, through uh, the prison system. Now, I think we can all take comfort, though, in knowing that the warden probably still doesn't allow blasphemy in any of those processes, right? That's a good thing. Um, eventually, though, it comes to light that Andy is indeed innocent. There is a prisoner that is new to Shawshank, and 
just by sheer happenstance, shared a prison cell at another prison with the real murderer. And this prisoner is willing to testify to Andy's innocence. Well, the warden finds out about this, and what do you think the warden does? He sets up a meeting. He sets up a meeting with this prisoner, and he goes, will you really? Will you really testify to Andy's innocence? And of course, the prisoner is like, yeah, of course. It's it's the right thing to do. So the warden praises him, and then the warden, I saw you do this, Deb, right here, has him shot, right? The warden's not going to lose an accountant today. Those of you whose eyes just got really big, I apologize. This is a great movie. You should see it. And I didn't want to give any spoilers. Um, But this doesn't tell you the whole movie either. For Warden Norton, all things are only right and good insofar as that they are at the service of the warden's interest. Specifically in this story, his financial interest. Now this story from pop culture Uh, highlights something similar that we see going on in our scriptures today. Paul and Silas are are living the life of traveling missionaries. They're proclaiming the word of God. They're performing miracles. They're going all over the land doing this. In this case, they just performed an exorcism. An exorcism of a woman, the text says precisely, a slave girl. But as it turns out, there is a group of people who are walking around following Paul and Silas and this girl, and they're profiting off the girl. Apparently, she has the gift of fortune-telling. Now, we are told that the girl is following them around, and she is uh, saying continuously, these men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. And that's kind of true, right? That's kind of what they are doing. But she says this for many days as they follow them around, And then the text says that Paul becomes annoyed. Now, this word can also be translated in the Greek, deeply distressed. But of course, it's easy for me to resonate with the word annoyed. Like if any one of you were following me around the Galleria, right? And saying, this is Matt. He is a pastor. He is a servant of God. And the people at Bee Creek, I would be annoyed. I might even think you're possessed. You know, like, let me just get my coffee as we go. But annoyance doesn't seem to do the context justice. But deeply distressed, Paul does something about this. Turning to the spirit, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I order you come out of her. And in that very hour, the spirit came out. Paul had had enough. Paul had had enough of seeing this girl suffer at the hands of these owners and the spirit. And as the text says, when the owners saw their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. Like with the warden from the greatest movie ever made, the owners believe that all things are right and good, only right and good, insofar as that they are at the service of their interest. But it's interesting to note from where all of these accusations stem from when the owner's interests are threatened. 
The owners didn't seem to mind this disturbance so long as they were profiting off the mayhem that was happening, right? The, the, the question about Paul and Silas's ethnicity only came to the surface when their profit line was cut. And their argument of, we've never really done that before, really only became their argument <laughs> when their interests were threatened. But our verses testify to something good. A woman was liberated from spiritual captivity. Those of you who know this struggle of, of getting free after feeling a spiritual heaviness, you know, and, and maybe you've seen others experience that, you know that this is something to celebrate. This is something to be happy about. And yet, and yet the owner's selfish interest served as a veil. It kept them from seeing the healing and the wholeness and the goodness that was right there in plain sight. And so these verses move me to kind of consider, what are some of my selfish interests that keep others um, hostage? And mind you, not all selfish interests manifest uh, physically, or in this case, in these stories, financially, materially, with money. There are emotional self-interests. There are ways we treat others, family members, friends, that keep them around us in selfish ways. And this is a hard thing to think about. This is a hard dynamic. And I think Scott Peck says it best. He was the author of The Road Less Traveled. I want to read you, and it's up here on the screen. You can read along. He says, some of us will go to quite extraordinary lengths to avoid our problems and the suffering they cause. Proceeding far afield from all that is clearly good and sensible in order to try to find an easy way out. Building the most elaborate fantasies in which to live, sometimes to the total exclusion of reality. And I think one of the first places that we can start as individuals and as a community is that it's just to say we all have this problem. As the scripture implies, we must realize that putting our self-interest before others to the detriment of others is a spiritual sickness. Which is why Paul turns to the spirit. The text is pretty clear about that. Paul turns to the spirit and he says, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And we shouldn't be surprised that the, the physical and, and the spiritual realm are so closely intertwined here. Like, God, if there be any power or any influences that are not from you, please take them away. This is an okay prayer to pray to God. It's not only okay, it's a necessary prayer to pray. I have, and I do, every single time I can remember to do so. But the other thing I think we must come to realize in these scriptures are the social consequences that result from putting our self-interest before others or to the detriment 
of others. The owners of the passage would have done well to simply just acknowledge the real fear. Like, how are we going to make a living now? That's a problem. That's a problem that we can all search for a solution to. But it's also the type of problem that I think would be hard to bring out in your social circles. It's the type of problem I think even thinking about church, that would be a hard thing uh, to articulate to people at church. So are we cultivating the space for that sort of vulnerability in this place? Are we cultivating the space for that vulnerability in our, our places of intimacy with our family and our close friends? Now the owners instead they, their move was to hide behind other cultural forces, to accuse Paul and Silas of, of not belonging and, and wreaking havoc on the peace, just to see their interests sustained, or in this case, to see those who disturbed their interests punished. So we, as individuals and as a community of faith, must be mindful of hiding behind cheap caricatures of others. Paul was Jewish, but he was also a Roman citizen. We must be ever mindful of hiding behind overly simplified cultural norms or customs. That's not how we do it. That's not how we've ever done it. And so I wonder if simply being aware of the mere impulse to hide behind our cultural biases or our appeals to what has always been shouldn't be a starting point to examine the interests we have invested in those things. Church, these verses show us that there is goodness. There is goodness all around. There is healing, there is wholeness, and it is waiting on our affirmation. Now, an exclusive focus on self-interest can keep us from seeing what is possible all around us. So if fixating on ourselves is the mechanism, as it was in these verses, for spiritual captivity, and I think even sometimes physical captivity, then I think it must be said that affirming, affirming the good in others and those around us is the mechanism for human flourishing. God affirmed the whole world when God made it. And indeed, it was very good. Even more so, church, Christ came for us while we were yet sinners. And that proves God's love toward us. And a characteristic of that love that is given by God is that it is freely given. Love cannot be manipulated. Love does not disparage. Love does not shame. Love, does, love is not possessive. Love is, is not sustained by uh, our preferences by our own power, by our systems, 
Love is pure gift. So may all our self-interests fall in line behind God's love for the world. May we embody love in the darkest corners of our communities. May we, may we let love move in the darkest corners of our souls. May we think critically and examine those places in our hearts where we hold selfish desires and expectations so that we can affirm and see clearly the good in our midst. Amen? Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your your presence here in this space as we gather. Lord, we pray that you open our hearts, that you open our minds, that you open our minds to your presence in this space so that we can love one another well here in this space. And when we leave this place, we can look and point to your goodness in the world, to the ways your mercy, to the ways your grace are transforming the people and the places around us. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. And all the people said...